This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards. If you're looking to unload your collection and maybe turn some of that old cardboard into cash, Greg Morris can help. Greg's always buying collections of vintage basketball, baseball, football, or hockey cards. And if you have modern or ultra-modern graded cards, he'll buy those as well. On top of all that, Greg takes cards on consignment. Go to gregmorriscards.com to sell them your cards, or you can email joe at gregmorriscards.com directly. What's up, everyone? This is episode 138 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, um, unless you've been hiding under a rock the last week, you guys know that the NBA is finally back. And the last couple weeks have been filled with all sorts of drama. Hopefully now we can talk more about the game itself. And I know I'm ready to watch my Pacers. In fact, they tip off in about an hour from now. So I'm recording this on Wednesday night. I don't have super high hopes for them this season. I think they'll probably win around 44 games. But they've got a new coach, or a new old coach, I should say, in Rick Carlisle. And who knows, maybe they'll surprise me. Either way, I'm excited for this season and I'll be consuming my fair amount of basketball coverage, as always. Now, if the return of the NBA wasn't enough to celebrate, this year also marks the 75th anniversary of the league. This is a milestone that I've been looking forward to. I've been thinking a lot about it over the last few months, and I'm going to talk about it in today's main segment, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. Uh, But first, I want to take a few minutes to talk about some of my recent mail. And I tell you what, Last week, I think I mentioned that the mail was slow and that things tend to show up in bunches. Boy, was that ever true this week. Um, I picked up a a handful of really nice PC cards, but they showed up online. They haven't showed up at the house yet, so um, I won't be talking about a lot of those on this episode. I guess that's more of a tease for next week, but I went in one moment from hoping that a rare PC card would pop up to then hoping that they would stop showing up. Uh, maybe some of you can relate to that. It's not that I didn't want to find them, but it's like, man, I need some some downtime to recoup some funds, so build up some funds so I can uh, buy more in the future. So anyway, though, it's a wild mail week. Um, next week, anticipate some crazy, crazy pieces. But I guess it's a good reminder to me that I need to be patient and prioritize what I really want. Um, but a few smaller things showed up, so I'm going to talk about them today. The first two packages contain cards that I plan on flipping at some point. And I feel like I don't talk a lot about flipping, but if I see a card that I think is undervalued or underpriced, I don't mind picking it up to do just that. But I have a couple of rules for these types of purchases, though. Number one, I have to feel pretty confident that I can move it for either a PC card or PC funds in the future. And then number two, it has to be something that I'm okay uh, getting quote-unquote stuck with if things don't go according to plan. So uh, if you ever see me set up at a show, which if you come to a Florida show, you might see me, I feel pretty confident in saying my table is stocked with some pretty cool stuff. Uh, Enough about that, though. On to the mail. 
for real this time. I know I said I was going to talk about it earlier. For real, let's talk about the mail. Um, the first package contained a 2013-2014 National Treasures sneaker swatches card of Shaquille O'Neal numbered to 99. And when it comes to shoe cards of legends, Panini usually cuts up the sole and uses it for immaculate sole of the game. They'll make special one-on-one immaculate jumbo cards for the heel, the tongue, and the laces. And then a lot of the leftover stuff gets put in the lesser shoe sets like this one. So this is part of the black cloth from the inside of the shoe. I still think that's a lot cooler than a regular jersey card. Um, I'm not super attached to it, though. It's just something different. I saw it. Uh, it stood out to me. The price seemed right. I think I can flip it. And that's what I, you know, this is the kind of stuff I want people to see when they visit my card show table. Okay, um, the second package actually contained a trio of cards. And I suppose it's fitting that all three of those were trio cards from the early 70s top sets. Um, there was a 72 tops trio with Artis Gilmore, Julius Irving, and Mel Daniels. That card graded a PSA 8. And I've seen some people refer to this as a rookie card for both Gilmore and Irving. That bothers me. You know, yes, it's from the same set as their rookie, but no, I don't see these as true rookie cards. I don't like labeling them as such. I have no problem with calling it rookie year, but calling it a rookie card seems a little deceptive to me. Uh, who knows? Maybe I'm just splitting hairs, but uh, the last two cards in the trio were both uh, Julius Irving, George McGinnis, and Dan Issel trios. They just happen to be from different years. So that tells you those two guys had pretty good years, um, pretty good stretch of years if they're showing up on league leader cards in consecutive years together. Uh, the 73 tops is a PSA 9, and the 74 tops is a PSA 8. So strong grades on all three of those, and I figure a set collector or a Dr. J collector will end up with those at some point. Okay, the third and final package contained a 2009-2010 Topps Championship Materials patch numbered to 50 of Magic Johnson. And I have a couple other cards from this set. A set I haven't always been a big fan of in the past because the patch window has this uh, stupid basketball die cut cut out on it that blocks half the patch. Um, and each card is, is, is a nice action photo, though, and some of the patches are pretty nice, even if they are small and partially blocked. I've been looking to add a nice Magic Johnson patch to my collection. I've got a preferred booklet with Larry Bird numbered to 10. Uh, but those patches are just trim. And as far as I'm concerned, this patch is an upgrade over that one. Um, so anyway, as usual, make sure to check out my social media and let me know what you think. I don't think I have that Magic on there yet. I'll do my best to try to remember to get it on there. If you don't see it, let me know. Say, hey, we need to see that Magic Johnson patch. All right. Before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again... That's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, as most of you probably know, the NBA is celebrating its 75th anniversary this season. And if it's anything like the 50th anniversary from the 96-97 season, it's going to have a bit of an impact on cards and people's collections. 
So I thought this week would be an appropriate time to look back on the 50th anniversary and all that entailed, and then use that as a stepping stone to project some of what we might see this season as part of year 75. All right, so let's start by jumping in the DeLorean and traveling back to 1996. And I saw an article in the Journal of Sports Analytics this week that broke the league into three distinct eras from 1980 on. Uh, The author categorized 1980 to 1994 as the classic era, 1995 to 2013 as the transitional era, and then 2013 to today as the modern era. And for the most part, I would say I agree with that assessment, and everything before that was really developmental. So that would place the 50th anniversary near the beginning of the transitional era, an era that was partially ushered in by a pair of rule changes at the beginning of the 94-95 season, I think they're worth noting. The first one was that the three-point line was moved in a little bit. And then the second one, uh, the league eliminated hand-checking from the in-line in the backcourt to the opposite foul line. And um, from what I remember, the goal was to counter some of the physicality of the game and boost scoring a little bit. Um, However, scoring numbers remained in decline, and the league was kind of in a weird spot. But nonetheless, they were approaching a major milestone, and that was cause for celebration. So... Commissioner David Stern started things off by announcing the 50 greatest players of all time in October of 1996, and the majority of these players met up at the All-Star Game in 97 for a special ceremony. If you've never seen that, go on YouTube, search it up, watch it. Um, It's only 10 minutes long, and it's definitely worth watching at least once. And um, another thing you might notice from that era is that the jerseys had gold logo man patches and the warm-ups had a special 50th anniversary patch. And I've used these at least a handful of times to help date relic pieces, so you better believe that I'm appreciative that they did that. Uh, in addition to creating the uh, 50 greatest team, you know it shouldn't be surprising that they, uh, there was also the component of merchandise, right? So there was everything from a coffee table book to lithographs, throwback jerseys, commemorative coins, CD-ROMs, a special VHS release, you guys remember those things, and of course, basketball cards. Now, I talked a little about how the league was in a transition period at that time. I'd say the hobby was as well. And even though there was a healthy competition between the big three companies, each one of them approached the hobby from a little different angle. Because you see, the early to mid-90s had been characterized by mass production, uh, interest in rookie cards, and the emergence of inserts. And it was partially this competition between companies that helped propel these inserts to new heights. And that kind of turned into Fleer's niche. So uh, their 96-97 lineup featured a slew of die cuts that are still sought after today, such as a cut above, uh, hot shots, golden touch, and big men on court, to name a few. And on top of that, I mentioned the mass-produced component of the early 90s. Well, at some point, people realized there's just too much of this stuff. So serial-numbered stuff started to take off, and early on, that was mainly through Fleer as well. Keep in mind, I'm just talking NBA license stuff here. Uh, I know that stuff was already prevalent in college releases. I'm just talking NBA license stuff. So um, also prevalent in college releases were autographed cards, which were taking on a bigger role now in, the, in these license sets. In 1996 and 97, Fleer rolled out their massive autographic set across multiple product lines. Um, all three of the big companies had already dabbled a bit in autographs, but this set took things to another level. 
And meanwhile, even though um, Upper Deck was cranking out a lot of different Jordan-themed sets, it seemed like they were treading water to figure out their next move, which some would say were the jersey cards that came out the following year. Um, but, you know, they, they really didn't know what they wanted to do. And um, if you listen to my interview with Jim Esker on episode 68, you might remember that Upper Deck was offered the Chromium technology in the early 1990s, but they opted to go the hologram route instead. Uh, Tops, however, was very happy to utilize that Chromium technology, starting with Finest in 1993, and with that came Refractors, which provided a little bit of a chase. Um, 1996-97 Finest was the first set to have gold and silver refractors, and then of course 96-97 marked the first uh, Topps Chrome release. So it was no surprise then that Chromium cards played a big part in their NBA at 50 collection, including a product called Top Stars that was created exclusively to commemorate the top 50 players of all time. And according to Beckett's website, quote, the set contained 150 cards and was issued in eight card packs that carried a suggested retail price of $3. Each player had three cards, a golden season card highlighting their best year, and two versions of a commemorative card in which the card fronts were the same, but one had an all-text back, and the other featured all the career statistics showing why each player is among the NBA's top 50. End quote. And I didn't see any mention of this on the Beckett site, but the cards in the main set also had Chromium, uh, Refractor, and Atomic Refractor parallels. Now, one thing that I really liked that Topps did was that they made different types of rookie reprints for each one of the 50 players. Well, you know, at least the ones that they had the rights to. You know, some of these guys had their first rookie card, their first card, I should say, um, was in Fleer. So Topps had to use whatever their first Bowman or Topps card was, or Star card, because they obtained the the rights to uh, reprint Star cards for this release. So um, the glossy paper versions were found in the Topps Star set that I mentioned before, uh, and then 10 of those were autographed. As far as the Chromium versions of the reprints, the first 25 were issued in 96-97 Stadium Club Series 1, and then the second 25 were inserted into um, Topps Finest Series 2 packs. Some of the more popular ones like the Jordan Star Refractor or the Bird and Magic have really gotten out of hand, but I've been picking some of the other ones up for under $10 though over the last year, and I like to pair them with the real thing. I think they look pretty cool together. Um, the final set that came out around that time for the, the NBA at 50 Celebration, or I guess it's really a parallel the final one that I want to mention, uh, and I hope I'm not leaving anything out, but that this is the one that people will probably remember the most. This was the NBA at 50 foil parallel in the regular top set. Uh, these weren't super rare. They were one in every three packs, so if, if you got a Series 1 box, you're, you'd end up with a, about a dozen of them, but they look nice nonetheless. Um, now, as I was racking my brain trying to think back on all of the NBA at 50 themed cards, one major question came to my mind. Where were Fleer and Upper Deck? I mean, I know Upper Deck made some nice 50 Greatest Themes cards maybe you know a decade later, but why weren't they involved when it was actually taking place in 96? So I dug out some of my old Beckett magazines. And just a, a PSA here, a free PSA. Do yourself a favor. Every couple of months, go on eBay, 
buy a random Beckett and read through it when you get the chance. Uh, and P.S. If any of you are ever throwing out a stack of old Becketts, hit me up first because I'm always looking to add to my library. But um, so anyway, I went and I looked in some old Becketts. What did I find? Well, there were two specific mentions of some sort of exclusive. There was an article about the Jordan Star reprint that mentioned, quote, since Topps has exclusive rights to the 50 players selected as the NBA's all-time greatest players, end quote. And then there was another snippet in another section that said, quote, the NBA has been pushing the ball up and down the court since 1946, and Topps won the rights to help the league celebrate its 50th anniversary this season, end quote. Um, man, think about how much things have changed. In 96-97, we had three companies innovating the hobby in different ways, seemingly competing for the rights to honor the game's legends. And now here in 2020, we have a lame duck um, exclusive manufacturer that seems like it's been mailing it in for the last couple years now. And, you know, I'll touch more on that later. I don't want to get into that too much right now. Let me get some other stuff out of the way. Um, but anyway, that's all things 50 greatest. So like I said, I wanted to run you through, you know, what did the league do? What did they do in cards? What did the league and the hobby look like in general. Um, so I, hopefully I got that all the way out of the way and I cleared that up for you. Um, and then for the last 25 years, there have been collectors that have shaped collections around this list. I've seen people try to get rookies for every player. I've seen people try to get autos. And that gets really tough when you're trying to add a guy like Maravich, um, who, you know, died young, died in the late 80s. And, um, so he didn't have certified autographs, but he does have some cut autos that have been put out by card companies. Or even a guy that, that's still alive like Dave Bing, who didn't have a certified autograph for the longest time. And um, another challenge used to be Charles Barkley. So kudos to Panini for bringing him in and making his autograph more accessible. I'm sure a lot of the 50 greatest collectors are thankful for that. Um, I've also seen people chasing signed rookies for every player. That's a real tough chase. I, you know, as, as fun as that would be, I would never be able to complete that. Um, but I am slowly working on getting patches for all the guys that have relics available, which I believe is about 80% of them right now. So, um, all right, so let's fast forward to 2021. The league is very different now. The hobby is very different. And we're ready to celebrate this 75th anniversary. So let's start with what the league has planned, or at least what we know right now. And I think the first thing that we saw or the first thing that we were um, that was revealed to us would be this diamond logo, which I thought was very cool. Uh, I know Panini's used a lot of warm-ups in the past for relic cards, mainly because they're a lot cheaper than jerseys. That's been met with mixed reception, but if it means we get some of these cool um, 75th anniversary diamond logo patches, then I'm all for it. Um, and that, those are just the warm-ups. Um, the actual uniform itself, they've got the Nike swoosh has a different kind of diamond look to it and, and the logo man does as well. I'm not sure we'll see any of those for rookies this year. I don't think they wore them at the photo shoot that I saw, but I don't want to count them out yet. Maybe later in the season they'll be able to get some of those. But um, just on opening night alone, we saw some nice video packages that honored some of the players of the past. I really hope these continue, and I hope they dive in and cover some of the lesser-known greats. Uh, that seems a little bit like an oxymoron, right? Lesser-known greats. But um, how many times have you seen someone pull an auto of a Hall of Famer in a break, only for the breaker to say, you know, who's this old guy? 
right? Who's Bob McAdoo? Um, and that brings me to one of the things that I'm the most excited about here, which is the 75 greatest list. And this list will probably be revealed by the time you've listened to this episode, but I went out of my way to draft my own list ahead of time. I didn't want to be influenced by the NBA's list. I wanted to try and do my own research and um, you know do my own thinking here. So if you'll humor me, I'd like to talk about that for a few minutes. And I've seen a number of different strategies for coming up with the top 75 list. I don't know if there's a perfect solution, so I respect practically every approach as long as there was legitimate thought put into it. Um, if I were in charge of coming up with a list, I think it's best to take the original 50 and go from there. Um, were there some people that you know should probably be taken off that list? Yes, it's likely, but I you know I don't really want to mess with that. Um, so I took the original 50. That left me with the task of naming an additional 25, and then I also got to you know reconsider some of the snubs from the original list. The two that stood out to me were Dominique Wilkins and Bob McAdoo. And, um, you know, most people mention Neek when they're talking about snubs. A lot forget about McAdoo. I think he should definitely be considered. I also thought about Adrian Dantley, but by the time I was done, I just didn't have enough spots. So um, from there, I started with the 1990 rookie class and worked my way through each year. It's worth noting that Shaq was drafted in 92 and was already included with the original 50. Um, so he was named on this list just in his fourth year. You know, I thought that was a little premature at the time, but you know, Hey, he deserves to be there nonetheless. Um, so I went through and, and man, this was tough. I'll tell you what, I left off a lot of really good players, Kyrie, Paul Gasol, Reggie Miller. I know people have asked me, you didn't have Reggie on your list. No, I didn't. Um, Grant Hill, Dikembe Mutombo, Chauncey Billups, Vince Carter, Tony Parker, you know, think about it. Tony won four rings and a finals MVP. And that MVP was in a series that featured Tim Duncan and LeBron James. But, you know, there's just not enough spots. So I didn't include any of those guys that I just named there. I didn't include. And it got to the point where I was spending too much time on this. And um, now I see why some people went back and took people off the original 50. But, um, you know, I as I was narrowing down the final few spots... I was talking with some other people. They said, no, you need to take Dwight Howard off. And I did for a little bit, and then I, I put him back on um, because he just had an absolutely monstrous run with the Magic. I don't think he gets the respect he deserves. He he really didn't have any offensive moves, and yet he dominated um, the league really on both sides of the ball for a, a short period of time. It was just a really incredible run. Um so then my last spot was between Lillard and AD, and I kept Anthony Davis. So, um, which, you know, we can argue about these lists. And, and really, it, at some point, it's just, look, I had to cut somebody. That was really good. But when all was said and done, I added the following 25 guys. And I did post these to social media on Wednesday night. But here's my list real quick. I had Bob McAdoo, Dominique Wilkins, Gary Payton, Jason Kidd, Kevin Garnett, Allen Iverson, Ray Allen, Kobe Bryant, Steve Nash, Tim Duncan, Tracy McGrady, Dirk Nowitzki, Paul Pierce, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Steph Curry, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, and then our reigning MVP, Giannis, our finals MVP, Giannis. Um, 
I know I said I wasn't going to go back to the previous list and make any corrections. I've seen some other people do that. I respect that. Um, it takes a lot of time and effort, but comparing eras is difficult for a number of reasons. You know, I, I talked to somebody or somebody posted on my list earlier today, well, you know, you could take a scrub from this era and, and, and they would dominate or they would be an all-star in, in the 50s and 60s. You know, yeah, that, that is the case. And I've even seen some people take George Mikan off their list, but that's insane to me. You know, the guy was the NBA's first star. They literally changed rules because he was so dominant. Um, would he get destroyed by Shaq in a one-on-one? Absolutely. But anyone that causes a major rule change is an all-time great to me. Don't punish someone because they played in an era where the game hadn't matured. Instead, appreciate the fact that they helped develop the game into what it is today. You know, today's scrubs have the benefit of 75 years of players developing this league for them. So just keep that in mind. Um, Another thing I've seen is people put guys like Jokic or Luka on their list. (laughs) Do I think they'll make it eventually? Yes. Have they earned the right to be there now? Probably not. You know, if we were making this list in 2013... Would we put Derrick Rose on there? Maybe, but a lot has happened since then, and and now he's not even close. So, all right, Um, I could go on and on. I could do a whole episode on that list. I tried to keep it brief, I promise. But um, So that takes care of most of the stuff we know that the league has planned for the 75th, and I'm sure there will be a few surprises along the way. Now it's time uh, to look at what card manufacturers are going to do. And since Panini is the only company with an NBA license right now, it's time to speculate about what Panini will do. And that's a little tricky, seeing as there's little to no communication from their end. We do know that they're way behind right now. There are still at least a handful of releases from the previous season that have yet to come out. Uh, I'm assuming they're going to attribute those delays to COVID and to the supply chain, but it's hard to even get that information out of them. And pandemic or not, I don't have the slightest bit of confidence in them to do much of anything to commemorate the NBA at 75. Or if they do, it'll probably be something that's hastily slapped together. Um, Just a side note, that's what happens when you have exclusives and no competition. Everyone wants to look back at Fleer and Upper Deck and, and remember them as these perfect little manufacturers. Well, the truth of the matter was each one of the big three companies screwed plenty of stuff up. But it was the element of competition that at least motivated them to keep trying. And, you know, we're switching from Panini to Fanatics at some point. I talked about that with Evan a little last week. That's one thing that worries me about Fanatics in the long run. Once they're done courting collectors for a few years, will there be any real motivation without competition? Who knows? Um, Anyway, all that is to say, the hobby is in a much different spot now than it was for the 50th anniversary We have no clue what Panini is going to do for the 75th, if anything. So I'm going to try and run through what I think they could do. And keep in mind, everything I mentioned here is going to exclude Michael Jordan. They don't have the rights to use him. But um, otherwise, let's just assume all the players are in there. So um, as I mentioned earlier, Topps' approach mainly revolved around the new Top Stars product and the rookie reprints. Well, um, only I, I want, I, what, I did have six in here. I think now it's five now that I took one of the players out. Only a handful or around a handful from my list have a rookie in the Panini era. So that's not going to work. Can't do rookie reprints for the NBA at 75 and only have five. 
Um, I guess they could go back and they could do some hoops reprints as well. So, okay, let's add another five, right? It's not going to be any more than that. Probably not even that much. Um, instead, I think Panini should lean into some of the stuff that hadn't quite become mainstream in the card world by 1996. So things like serial numbered cards, autographs, and relics. Notice I used the word mainstream because these things had already been introduced, but they weren't anywhere near as prevalent as they are today. And when it comes to serial numbered stuff, I would try to do something with the number 75. Maybe they could create um, a special parallel, maybe like some type of a diamond parallel. We know they love diamonds. Um, that's numbered to 75 and distributed in sets throughout the year. And that's something that Tops did with their finest rookie reprints. Remember I said 25 were in one product, 25 were in another. Well, given the number of sets that Panini makes anymore, I think they should spread them out among maybe 10 or maybe even 15 of the lower end releases and give people an incentive to rip multiple releases and give people at the lower price point something that's limited uh, that they can chase. And I'm sure there's a lot more they could do with inserts and um, you know numbered cards, but I'm going to go ahead and move on to autographs where I think there's a lot of potential. And I think Tops did autographs for 10 players on the reprints back in 96. Actually, I should say nine of them were reprints. The 10th card was a 1969-inspired Sam Jones that never existed. So that was kind of cool. But that was about the extent of autos in 96 for the 50 greatest stuff. Um, if they're going to do any sort of all-encompassing set, they have to work around the fact that a number of the 75 greatest have already passed away. And that creates a bit of a problem. And even then, the guys that are living, for whatever reason, tracking them down and getting them to sign in time, that appears to be a major problem for Panini. Either um, you know, either that or they just don't want to go to the effort to do all of that. So I think, I think, right, and it's not, you know, who knows, I'm not in the manufacturing business, but I think I've got a solution that could take care of both of these problems at the same time. Cut autographs. We haven't seen a lot of these lately, but they were more common toward the beginning of Panini's run, you know, once again, when they were courting collectors. Um, but they had some really nice and even some really obscure Hall of Famers in the Timeless Treasures set. A lot of, you know, the collectors that know about those have scooped those up. I can't find any of those. You know, it's very difficult to find those at this point. But um, as time went on, Panini just kind of stopped making cut autographs. And the last cut autograph set I can remember was from 2019-2020 Panini Eminence. Uh, there were 18 cards on the checklist, and they were all former U.S. presidents, which, you know, that's cool and all, but Grover Cleveland wasn't exactly tearing it up on the hardwood back in the day. So, you know, it's just kind of strange. And then even before that, I think the last cut set was from 2017-2018 Flawless. There were two cards total, one Wilt Chamberlain cut, and one Dennis Johnson cut. So um, they're not making cut autographs any sort of priority. And, and it, you know, they're leaving a lot on the table in my mind because a lot of the deceased greats were prolific signers and there are plenty of autographs out there. Leaf does a lot with basketball cuts. They, you know, they get them for really cheap. They package them up. They look nice. They present well. Um, and I think their costs are fairly low as a result. But um, if Panini were to do this, they'd just have to go to the effort of rounding them up. They're out there. And additionally, we know a lot of people in the hobby today, and I've even seen, you know, Nat Turner has made a few comments about this lately. 
Um, a lot of people want to get rid of sticker autos. Well, Panini uses them because they're a lot more convenient and it helps them streamline the process. You know, could we at least reach a middle ground between the two? Could Panini make some effort to disguise the fact that they're not signed on card? They've done it before with draft night autos where they had jumbo stickers signed. They build them into the card. And then Fleer used to do this quite a bit back in the 2000s as well, where they had kind of these white panels that they would build into the card and frame. And I actually thought those looked pretty nice. Uh, Fleer did it, Upper Deck did it as well. There's, you know, a lot of the companies did this. But um, in any case, I think Panini could get the living players to sign cut size pieces. You know, get them to sign a bunch of them all at once. You don't have to have the cards made ahead of time. And then insert them into the cards later on. Um, that would match up with the cut autos that they take for deceased players, and it would give everything a consistent look across the board. Uh, because, you know, I have seen a, a dual auto that had a cut portion and an on-card portion, and I, you know, I appreciated the effort, but it looked kind of weird. I think it'd be better just to have them both as cuts, even if they are current living players. Uh, now, I figure making that many cut autos probably takes a lot of time, and time equals money, Panini's going to say they're short-staffed. They're going to say they can't get cards printed. Meanwhile, have you seen some of the stuff that's come out during the COVID era? Uh, My favorite, and I say favorite facetiously here, recent horrible release is a set that was distributed through the Panini Instant Platform. Jumbo Rookie Sock Relics. And remember, all of those socks are unworn. So it it seems a little silly for them to complain that they can't get sets printed and they can't get them out when they're using resources to print up a set of unworn socks that no one asked for. Um, And one that doesn't even come in standard packs. Who's this set even for? So it's going to come down to this. If Panini wants to make anything worthwhile from here on out, it's going to take a little effort on their part. So we're at their mercy. Um, But it's going to take effort. And that's especially the case when it comes to memorabilia cards for the 75 greatest players. We didn't get any of these for the 50th anniversary. And that was kind of a, you know, a product of the times. Press Pass came out with the first basketball jersey relics in 1996, but those weren't licensed by the NBA. First Pro Relics came out in 97 and 98. So imagine how cool, though, it would have been to own a piece of the jackets that were worn at the 50th anniversary celebration that I talked about earlier. I doubt any manufacturer even considered it, though, because we hadn't got to that point with relics. I don't fault any of them for that. Uh, This time, though, things are very different. And a couple months ago, I was talking with my friend Jason. Some of you might know him as Small Town Cards on Instagram. And he had a really cool idea. I'm going to build on it a little bit here. He said that the NBA should organize some sort of, we can call it heritage event or historic event or whatever you want to call it. It would basically be the equivalent of a rookie photo shoot, but for the 75 greatest players. Um, Gather all these guys together for a casual luncheon at All-Star Weekend, have them try on a jacket and a couple hats, snap a few pictures um, of them, you know, enjoying one another's company, and you're set. Because think about it, Panini already has jumbo hoodie and jacket relics in immaculate uh, football and baseball, I believe, so why not basketball too? On top of that, it would literally give Panini player-worn legend relics that would last them the remainder of their license. I mean, in general, I'd rather see game-worn stuff, and to Panini's credit, they haven't gone the player-worn route with veterans yet, 
But if they did something like this, at least they can say it's from a significant event. Uh, and I would, I would even put that on the back of the card. Something like, the relic on the front of this card was worn by Bill Russell as a part of the NBA at 75 celebration. And then as an added bonus, they could put the photos up on the blog. And there you have it, meaningful relics that could be ordered at Dick's Sporting Goods. So both the collector and the manufacturer can have their way. All right. Well, there you have it. I kind of ended this thing by fantasy booking a, a basketball product. You know, I think that that's a, a little activity that can be a lot of fun. I tried to come up with ideas that uh, would navigate around some of the problems Panini seems to struggle with today. I could go on with a few other ideas, but I think that's good enough for now. Um, but the fact of the matter is, we don't really have any say on what Panini is actually going to do, if they're going to do anything at all. However, that doesn't have to stop you from celebrating this great milestone in your own way. Maybe you want to pick up rookies for all 75 players. Maybe you just want to focus on the most recent 25, provided they go the same route that I did. Uh, maybe you want to chase autographs for everyone. I think I'm going to try and get patches for the 75 greatest, um, at least for the guys that are available. You know, there are a lot of options, and there's no right or wrong way to collect. And perhaps you have an idea that I haven't mentioned, or maybe there was something I said today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast or on Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www waxmuseumpodcast.com In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.